It hasn't yet been a month since Oregon received its first shipment of COVID-19 vaccines. So how are we doing? In typical Oregon fashion, we're doing okay. Better than some states, not as well as others, but demand for the vaccine is outpacing supply, and even supplies aren't reaching Oregonians and their arms as quickly as anyone would like. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, reporter Imee Green talks about the vaccine rollout in Oregon so far. We talked about where we rank nationally in terms of administering vaccines, which states are doing well, how Oregon could improve, and why some healthcare workers are frustrated about the rollout. We talked shortly about Governor Kate Brown's Friday news conference, where she announced the National Guard would be activated in Salem to assist with a weekend vaccination clinic. Here's our conversation. Amy Green, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. Absolutely. So we're a few weeks into the COVID-19 vaccine era in Oregon. How are things going so far? Well, they're going much slower than expected. The goal was to inoculate uh, 100,000 healthcare workers and nursing home residents mm-hmm. by the end of December. Uh and that didn't happen. We didn't even reach that goal um, halfway. And right now we're at about, as of uh, the end of the first week of January, we're at about 75,000 doses administered, which is about uh, 29% of the available stock on hand that we've actually um, jabbed into the arms of recipients. So I think there's a lot of feeling that we're behind. Um, if we step back, though, and look at the rest of the country, we can see a lot of states are struggling. Oregon certainly is not alone with its problems in getting the vaccine into people's arms. Um, it's a little bit ahead of California. It's a little bit behind Washington. Nationally, Oregon ranks about 40th for per capita vaccinations. Um, About 1.7% of our population has been vaccinated so far. Nationally, the average is a little bit above 2%. There's places in this country, though, certain states that have done relatively well. Um, I think the big surprise for many people was North Dakota and South Dakota, which just had a raging problem this fall, um, leading the nation in cases and positivity rates and, um, you know, up there high on the list. And that North Dakota and South Dakota have managed um, to use um, at times up to 70% of their vaccines on hand, about 4% of their populations uh, of their populations um, have been vaccinated. Um, So the U.S., like I said, is a little bit above 2% of the population has been vaccinated so far. And um, that is way, way behind the leader in the world, which is way, way ahead of most every, well, actually every other country. And that's Israel, which is um, about at 20% of its population vaccinated really because of really intense organization and planning and a a drive to make this happen quickly. What factors are leading to slow rollout here in Oregon? Well, um, some of it, I think, has been blamed on um, the holidays. In Oregon, on Christmas Day, 
just over a dozen people received a dose um, compared to other days before and after Christmas where it was in the thousands. Um, and I think some people have seen that just, they've been very critical of that. Mm-hmm. The best Christmas gift that any of us could get is to get vaccinated. Um, so why slow down operations? Um, I think there's also been a lack of planning um, by the Oregon Health Authority, which I will say can't fully be blamed for this. There was um, definitely a lack of federal guidance and federal funding to get these vaccination clinics up and running. There was so much focus on let's get the vaccine to the states, to the hospitals, to these vaccination sites. And somehow um, it was just going to happen that the vaccines ended up in the arms of recipients. But a new vaccine, there's definitely protocols that need to be followed in administering it, um, needs to be kept at certain temperatures, um, warmed up, diluted before it's injected. We need to watch people who receive the vaccine for 15 to 30 minutes after in case they do have severe allergic reactions. Back to the state, I think there was, though, a lack of planning and that we're just going to arrange for the federal government to deliver these vaccines to hospitals and health systems and um, emergency services departments and pharmacies that have a contract with the federal government to deliver the vaccines to nursing homes. And then those entities were just going to figure it out on their own. The problem, especially with hospitals and health systems, of course, is um, not only that this is a new vaccine and there's all these protocols that they need to follow, but they have been overwhelmed by a surge in COVID-19 patients. And some of the people who were going to be running these vaccination clinics who were going to be administering the doses are busy um, with their daily work of treating COVID patients. Yeah, so a lot going on. And obviously, we're, you know, we're talking on a Friday, it hasn't even been a month since uh, we first received these doses. But it feels like you you want these vaccines and you want them now. And and there are valid questions about how this has all been handled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every day, I think is precious. It may seem like, oh, it's just, you know, it takes a while to get things up and running. And I, I agree with that. That is I understand that. I think many people understand that. On the other hand, um, we're dealing with record numbers of people this week in the nation dying, um, high numbers in Oregon, well, for Oregon, um, dying. And um, also just the people who come down with the disease. There are major side effects, and we don't even know what they all are, but there are concerns about um, permanent taste and smell loss. Um, And even uh, some reports of uh, months later, people having problems with their circulatory systems, just like a tooth will randomly fall out because uh, blood has been cut off to the gums. Scary stuff. Um, So let's go back to the vaccine. So, so who do we know in Oregon has been vaccinated as of, you know, we're talking on Friday the 8th. Mm -hmm. So Oregon um, largely followed the recommendation of uh, the CDC's advisory committee in who to vaccinate first in phase 1A, that's healthcare workers, which is a very broad category of people, as well as long-term care residents. So people who live in nursing homes um, who Oregon decided as part of phase 1A would later be followed by people who live in other, other congregate care residential facilities like assisted living and independent living. Right. But the you know the proportion of people who have who live in those facilities who've been vaccinated um, 
you know, it's, it's pretty small, right, compared to the total population. Yeah, so Oregon has a little over 4 million residents, and the state is estimating that maybe there's somewhere around 360, 400,000 people in this initial phase 1A group, which I should also mention um, does include some other people like first responders. And to my uh, surprise, I didn't know until recently in reading through, um, Oregon had added uh, corrections employees, not um, the actual inmates, but uh, the workers who are employed in jails and prisons in the state. And obviously, uh, jails and prisons have been some of the largest outbreak sites in both Oregon and around the country. Yes, definitely. So the governor and healthcare officials with the state had a big news conference Friday where they talked about how things are going so far, and they've committed to ramp up the number of vaccinations per day. What is that figure that they're hoping to hit by the time people uh, listen to this podcast? And uh, it's 12,000 a day, right? And what is that supposed to represent? Well, uh, state government's figuring that they're going to receive anywhere from I think about 70,000 to 100,000 doses each week from the federal government. And so if they inoculate about 12,000 people a day, that's about 84,000 people a week. They figure they can get to that level. They'll be using um, essentially all the doses that come in. They'll be using them right away. So they the doses won't be sitting idle in refrigerators and freezers. You've spent this past uh, week reporting on some of the issues uh, with the rollout. I mean, what are some of the stories you've heard from people who are frustrated, whether they're providers or patients who want to receive a vaccine and can't? Can you just talk a little bit about some of the issues that you've heard about? Yeah, well, I think it's great to hear there are so many people who want the vaccine, who believe the vaccine will turn around this pandemic. Um, I'm truly believe the vaccine is um, the answer to the pandemic. Um, And everybody, there have been many, many people who want it, um, people in the general population, but especially the people in phase 1A, um, they know it's their turn and and they should be getting it. And largely, um, many of them have, if they've worked for a hospital or a health system. So OHSU, Providence, Legacy, Kaiser Permanente, Salem Health. Those are some of the bigger um, health systems. Um, Their employees have had access to it, I will say, to an extent. Um, Each entity has um, had to uh, learn um, about the vaccines and build a process for administering them um, and figure out how to schedule employees. And some of them have been very successful at that, and others have really struggled. So, um, for example, OHSU um, has done very well in getting the vaccine um, into the arms of its workers um, with, uh, as of Friday, about 67% of its vaccines used. Um, But then we can look at Kaiser, um, which has been struggling more. Um, It's at used about 31% of its vaccines, Legacy about 26% of its vaccines. And it's employees who work for um, those entities that are struggling. They're struggling with their frustrations um, that the rollout has been slow for them. Um, 
that just in recently in the last few days, the state has said, okay, anybody who is a healthcare worker can get the vaccine, not just frontline healthcare workers, which was part of the problem because um, if uh, an organization could only schedule a very narrow segment of its employees, um, it was uh, inefficient. Uh, it wasn't filling all the slots. For example, Legacy was um, very aware that they didn't want to schedule people to get inoculated unless the next day was their day off because the Legacy was aware of side effects and didn't want staff calling in sick if they were needed. I mean, they wanted people to have that day off to recover from the vaccine in case they had side effects. So that opens when you're trying to keep that staffing uh, need in mind, then you want to get those vaccines into people's arms, as you said earlier, then maybe that means some people who aren't the frontline workers are getting vaccinated, which is something that, you know, is frustrating for people outside the system. Oh, yes. Institutions like OHSU thought we want to do this in the most efficient way possible. And we are seeing that we're having these scheduling difficulties with just frontline workers. And we did at first offer the vaccine just to frontline workers. And now we're going to open it up to everybody who works for us. And then you would see people who work for Legacy or Kaiser, for example, saying, hey, I'm actually a frontline worker. I'm someone who works directly with COVID patients. I'm very concerned about the, my health and the health of my family that I might bring the coronavirus home to them. And I haven't gotten vaccinated yet, but I'm seeing on social media these very cheerful posts of people who work for OHSU or who work for Providence, um, who are in the IT department maybe, or they're in marketing, or um, they, they're working from home and they've already gotten their first dose. That that just doesn't seem fair. I'm angry. Yeah. And I know from uh, helping out on this story um, over the weekend that there are people in private practice who are frustrated as well, right? Because as we noted, the um, the first wave of vaccines went to these big hospital systems. So your neighborhood primary care physician, whether you're in uh, Forest Grove or Medford or Bend, who might be outside that healthcare system, you might not have access to to a vaccine and and they, the provider, might not have access either. Yeah, actually, I think that's very likely the situation. We, um, you and I and our colleagues have heard from many people in healthcare who aren't associated with hospitals or health systems. Maybe they're in private practice, they're, they're a nurse, a doctor, they're um, a dental hygienist or a dentist. Um, their offices, or, or they work for a smaller clinic, their offices have yet to receive vaccine shipments, or maybe they're so small that vaccines wouldn't be sent to them and they would go to a vaccination site. But where do they go? And I think that was a major problem with the state's planning in that it didn't really think about that. Um, I, OHA has uh, conceded, yeah, that's something that we should have thought more about, about reaching these people. Well, let's take a break and come back and talk more uh, with Amy Green, reporter for The Oregonian and Oregon Life. All right. So, I mean, there's been a lot of questions just in the first couple of weeks about where is the National Guard? Where is the National Guard? Why aren't we calling the National Guard? And on Friday, Governor Brown uh, said, well, we are going to call the National Guard at least to Salem, right? Yeah, that's right. I think that was one of her bigger announcements out of Friday's news conference um, that one of the things that 
hospitals and cell health systems that have vaccination sites up and running, they, they some of them have said, we are having trouble doing this because we don't have the staffing uh, to run these vaccination sites. And certainly, where's the staffing to run vaccination sites for people outside of hospitals and health systems? So um, the governor said that she was going to call in the National Guard and that there were going to be vaccination sites opened to reach um, other eligible vaccine recipients in phase 1A. So those um, dental hygienists, the dentists, the mm-hmm. doctors, the nurses, the um, the health interpreters, all those people in healthcare who have not had access. What happens after phase 1A? Where do we go from here and who's next in line? Pat Allen, the director of the Oregon Health Authority, told me earlier this week that he thinks it'll probably be somewhere around mid-February to late February um, before we're through um, phase 1A. And then we'll move on to phase 1B, a new group of people who will be eligible for the vaccines. Um, And the governor has said that will be K through 12 teachers. Um, It also could be other groups at the same time, um, simultaneously, they could be receiving the vaccine. We just don't know. The governor hasn't said um, who else will be eligible, if anybody. Um, but there is a vaccine advisory committee that the state has just convened. Its first meeting was Thursday, and they will spend about the next six weeks, it's 27 members, discussing uh, who should get the vaccine and when. And they'll make a recommendation to the Oregon Health Authority and the governor who will have the final say. We'll see. I know that the CDC Advisory Committee has recommended uh, people ages 75 and older be next to get the vaccine. Um, we'll see if they're added to phase 1B at the same time teachers are. Yeah, uh, Governor Brown um kind of talked a little bit as well as uh, education leaders about that calculus when um, talking about teachers versus people in their 70s and didn't give a lot of definitive answers. I mean, I think they just said it's a tough decision on all on all sides and they're trying to weigh the benefits of getting students back in school, um, which, you know, from our, <laughs> our vantage point here in the metro area seems like a, a long way away. Yeah, it's a really tough and difficult discussion to have. And I think it's a very emotional one for Oregonians, too, because we're talking about the health of people and the lives of people. Literally, it's a life and death matter, particularly for people in that age group, 75 and older. And so how do we weigh that? Our children's education, they've been out of classrooms for 10 months now and been doing online learning. And some kids have done well with that and other kids have really struggled. The general feeling is that overall, children are far behind in their learning and we want to get things started again. And we we don't want them to fall any farther behind. Um, but at the same time, um, we don't want our elderly dying and, 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 or, you know, surviving, but suffering um, side effects for the rest of their lives. So I know that this task force um, advisory committee met for the first time, but I mean, um, what can we say about this effort? Because it's really supposed to be trying to address these populations that have been hardest hit, um, racial or ethnic groups in the state that are historically marginalized, but 
you know, also historically distrustful and for often good reasons for uh, interactions with health officials or the government in general. Like, how do we how do we know that these efforts are actually going to be successful in getting vaccines to people who need them um, next? Uh, We hope, I mean, there is a lot of diversity on the vaccine advisory committee, and we hope through hearing um, input from all these different voices that um, we'll come up with a plan that the community feels is a good plan and that they can trust the plan and that they feel like it's been well thought through and that members of the vaccine advisory committee um, support the vaccine and they, and they want people to get vaccinations um, Mm -hmm. that I think that that will help. Uh, We won't really know how it goes um, though. We can try our best by involving people of many diverse communities in the conversation. And um, when people do get vaccinated, they become examples of, um, of, of who's getting vaccinated and showing that they believe in the vaccine. There have been reports elsewhere, I mean, that people eligible to be vaccinated, like healthcare workers are refusing it. Is that something that we have any knowledge or documentation of having in Oregon? Well, last I heard, we were asking about that. I have report heard reports from other states that um, maybe half or two-thirds of long-term care employees um, were refusing vaccines. Um, and some of those numbers were much higher in uh, minority communities, which is just evidence of what we were talking about before, that there is um, a dit- distrust of vaccines and healthcare um, among some minority communities uh, because of historic wrongs. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I haven't heard numbers in Oregon about who's um, refusing to get a, get a vaccine. We don't have any sense that that is a contributing factor or significantly contributing factor in why we've only used 29% of our supply. Yeah. um, And I I actually don't think at this point that that's a big factor because uh, we just can't even meet demand right now. There's um, so many people who do want the vaccine. Um, I get emails um, even from I get emails from people uh, complaining, like, where am I? Like, I'm in phase 1A. I want the vaccine. I can't get it scheduled. Um, Where do I go? What do you say to those people? That's a tough question. The story that um, I'm working on right now, which will be published this weekend, um, not only looks at uh, where Oregon went wrong in um, swiftly rolling out vaccines, but how do we make this better? Uh, And at the press conference on Friday, uh, the governor and Pat Allen did to date, um, I guess, offer the most specificity about how we will get more vaccines into the arms of Oregonians. Some of that was um, well, one that we're opening it up to all healthcare workers, not just frontline healthcare workers. So um, hopefully there won't be as many scheduling issues and trying to fill available spots. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to uh, call on retail pharmacies like Walgreens and CVS um, to start inoculating healthcare workers and um, others. They're, uh, like we said, they're going to call the National Guard um, 
and and hopefully these measures they'll be able to show some success in the next week or so. How long until you know the general population, people who aren't these essential workers, aren't in a high risk group, um, can't just go down to their neighborhood Rite Aid or clinic or pharmacy or Walgreens or whatever and get a vaccine? Do we even know at this point? Is that on the horizon? Well, I found what was interesting on Friday, Pat Allen, the director of the Oregon Health Authority, he said, you know, I think we keep hearing nationally um, dates that are much more optimistic. Uh, We hear maybe April, May, June, maybe June will be reaching herd immunity in the United States. And Pat, I got the sense from Pat Allen, he he does not think so in Oregon. He's looking more like toward the fall. So, um, you know, maybe we'll enter phase 1B with teachers and whoever else is in that group uh, by mid or late February. Not quite sure how that long they'll take, maybe March, sometime in March before we move on to the next group. Um and before the general population actually has access, so healthy adults who, um, yeah, they're not elderly, they don't have underlying health conditions, they're not essential workers. Um, I, I don't know, maybe we're talking May or June or July before uh, the vaccines become available to that group. Um, you know, I will add one other thing. Um, the governor and the Oregon Health Authority, they keep stressing that and they're right. We don't have enough vaccines right now to meet demand. And what they're asking people to do is uh, really just be cautious. Like the pandemic is not over. You still need to um, keep physical distance from others. Don't socialize um, indoors with others. Wear a mask always when you're around others outside your household. And, you know, one of the things that um, they said was for the elderly, you know, if we do inoculate teachers first, um, you know, stay home, just be be cautious. And that's kind of a hard message, um, I think, to accept. I mean, everybody should be following those me- these measures, but I think it's extra scary for those elderly who um, feel like maybe even, you know, I'm risking my life when I go to pick up groceries, which I have to do. So it's not going, as they said, when um, when they announced that these vaccines were arriving, the end is not here. Um, the end may be somewhere in sight, but it, it's a long ways away. Yeah, maybe may fall. And um, I also should add that uh, is, is that the end? Do we reach herd immunity, which could be anywhere from 70 to 85 to 90 percent of people inoculated? Um do we reach herd immunity by fall? Because we still have this big question mark. What about our children? What about uh, people under age 16? Um, neither the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccines have been approved for that group. So right now um, there are trials going on in children um, and uh, we'll wait and see if the vaccines are approved for them. They're, they're a huge chunk of our population, but also um, I you know, I feel a lot better about uh, herd immunity and society and where we are, knowing that uh, all the children get the protection from the vaccine as well. And there's no mention Friday on, um, you know, a potentially additional help with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine if that, uh, you know, is approved sometime this month or the next month, maybe. Uh, but that's not even factoring into our equation right now. Yeah, but there will be other vaccines coming out throughout the year, I think. Um, 
that could receive emergency use authorization. So there's hope there too. Well, thanks so much for documenting all this and uh, taking time to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Happy to do it. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to Imee's story about Oregon's vaccine rollout in the episode notes. If you like this show, leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. The best way to support our journalism, though, is with a subscription to The Oregonian and Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.